Well, uh, I'm calling from lovely Coos Bay. It's a really beautiful day on the coast. It's like sunny, clear, not a cloud in the sky. Um, and I'm right on the water. Um, I have like all of this set up. Um, I'll, I'll send a, a picture to the group about that. Ooh. I was going to say, just walk us around with your laptop. Like. <laughs> Do. <laughs> I, I might mess up the uh, microphone again. Oh, I'm like, yeah, I'm like paranoid about this microphone now. I'm like, this is not going to work. <laughs> Momo is currently laying in one of my uh, cubby shelves. Oh, Momo. He just, he just crawled in there and he's like, Ooh. is it a sunspot? That's really nice. Yeah, I'm sitting at that little table uh, in a little cabin uh, at Bay Point Landing. It's gorgeous. I can't believe, like, I had a Damn. bunch of hotel points saved up from work trips. And I'm telling you, like, maybe this is a good, like, intro to the episode. But, like, use hotel points, uh, you know, wherever you stay. Because you serve your time in some flea bag motels. And then you get to stay at something like this, where it's like a lovely little tiny house on a dune overlooking the water i'm like this is okay i can do this so nice <laughs> makes up for it yeah sign up for those reward points i remember i have now pared mine down but i used to have like 10 mm -hmm. different rewards i'm like okay which hotel are we staying at this time okay i gotta make sure i have that card and give them my number and oh yeah, yeah. All that. my favorite one uh is I, I guess for anybody who's listening, if they're in a position to be the one booking the hotel is just to use the hotels.com app. Um, there's better deals on the app than there are online. And this isn't sponsored content, I promise. Like it, it's, <laughs> I just like it, but you get like, uh, it's either eight or 10 visits, or eight or 10 nights. And then you get a free night for the average of all of your stays. Um, so it's usually around like a hundred, hundred and, 15 bucks. Um, wow. and I just like keep stockpiling these hotel points. Uh, and then you get like free upgrade perks and stuff like that. Once you're like above a certain level. Um, so it's like always a king size bed, always like free snacks, free beer sometimes. Free snacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do it all for the snacks. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Got some questions. Got it all. You're feeling stressed, man. Got it all. Put on your GPS and got it all. I'm here to turn something that's glistening. Download and listen to Tia, Katie, Chris, and Kirsten. You should go to all. So, uh, we're the Go Dig a Hole podcast. We're missing Kirsten again this time um we haven't kicked her off the show we promise we still like love her and appreciate her um she just had a baby so <laughs> life, like life's hitting her hard and we totally understand but uh you know we we have a group chat and we keep in touch with her um but yeah for like the the stuff i wanted to mention before we get like rolling uh for good news deb holland was confirmed as the first Native American Secretary of the Interior. And it's one of those things that after, you know, like a long stretch of really depressing political um, news, it's nice to have something that like you can just jump for joy over. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, everybody in the indigenous communities 
even more excited than we are, but as archaeologists and, you know, people who are concerned about climate action, um, I think she's the right person for the job. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So stoked. Yeah. Such an awesome appointment. And then, um, it's not an appointment, but I can't remember what the announcement was, but, uh, Biden was, giving some sort of announcement about something. And he was like, I want all states, tribes, American naval, like American military bases, like he included. And um, uh, a tribal member was like, this is a mate, like literally no president has ever done this, like has never included tribal nation, like as a sovereign group, like into a conversation in which being addressed to the public by the president in this manner. And he was like, just the level that Biden is including tribes as a president is remarkable in the fact that like no other president has really done that. So that is something else to be really excited about that the tribes are, at least with this administration right now, getting the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, Yeah, that's huge. And another thing that made me happy uh, to hear Biden say was that he's pushing for um, the COVID vaccines to be available to anybody who wants them by May 1st. And here in Oregon, our governor pushed for the vaccines to be open to anybody who wants them by April 21st. Um, Nice. So we're on track to even uh, be sooner than that. So it's just nice to have like lights at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's good to feel optimistic about things. Like <laughs> for a while, I'd forgotten what it felt like to feel optimistic. So I'm just like, wow, this is nice. I even got a haircut. Like, look at that. Wow. <laughs> First haircut in a year. Wow. Yeah. I'm like shaggy over here. <laughs> I'm just going to keep growing it. Why not just commit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah COVID hair. When it's finally over, just get it. Just get in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like the bad news, um, uh, anybody who's watched the news in the last like 48 hours, there was an attack where several Asian women in Atlanta were murdered in a racially motivated attack. And it's just like, I, I don't even have the words for it. Um, but I just wanted to voice that, you know, like we, of course, on this podcast condemn anti-Asian violence and also condemn racism. And, you know, it's, it's good to mention that, you know, we're just renewing our commitment to fighting racism any way we can. And, you know, if there's anything we can do to support, you know, the Asian community and, you know, please let us know we're looking for ways, but, you know, it's like right now in an actively developing situation it's it's hard to know like where the immediate needs for support are yeah absolutely uh and then the last bit of news before we get rolling uh the nwac conference is now in what like just over three weeks around three weeks from now um so i'm excited yeah the um deadline for submissions for papers just ended uh what the 15th and it got extended, didn't it? Oh, it, it did. did. It just got, I think, extended for those individual abstracts uh, to Monday, March 22nd. So if you are really wanting to present, 
really want to submit something, you still have until Monday, March 22nd. <laughs> nice. Well, I guess that means that I have to rush to edit this podcast and put it out. So that <laughs> <Yeah>. if for <laughs> some reason somebody is only getting their news from the Go to Go Hole podcast, <laughs> they, woe be upon you, but still. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, God. Well, I only get my news from this one archaeological podcast. <laughs> Oddly specific news. <laughs> What's your source? Go dig a hole. I only listen to Go Dig a Hole. It's my favorite source for news about Portland's historic building codes and <laughs> cats and dogs. <laughs> like the greatest news ever yeah, yeah what more could you need really yeah. <laughs> but building I codes think, and cats yes <laughs> i mean like we said last time we could easily pivot to um just dog chat and cat chat and it i, I, I think our could new be the merch same. i think our new merch should just say building codes and cats <laughs> <laughs> Koozies. Yes. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. I'll have to talk to Derek Walker, is the one who did the design for the sticker um, and the logo. I'll have to see if he has some spare time to pull something together for that. That would yes. be so funny. Sometimes I can I can like just put a little bug out there and he'll just be interested enough and it'll hit him at the right time where he's like, yeah, I'm just going to fool around. Like he does stuff for our D and D campaign. He's our dungeon master. And he'll, he came oh, up cool. with one that was like, um, we've been brewing goblin wine in one of the campaigns. And so he made like a logo for the goblin wine. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. And it could be like different animals that people love like building codes and dogs or building codes and lizards like whatever people's jam is <laughs> makes it yeah. make it personalized yeah <laughs> totally but yeah i figured uh so last time we were talking about the essentials for archaeology and it was kind of like we threw the kitchen sink at the at the episode and we covered a lot of ground and, and went like uh, pretty wide ranging but i i thought maybe today we could just um spend a little time looking at the topic of getting your first job. And that's something that causes, you know, anybody who's in that position has a lot of um, stress and strain over that. And there's not a whole lot of guidance for getting your first job if you don't have the right people to kind of shepherd you along. Um, and so, you know, maybe we can share some ideas around that. Um, Tip and Tia, you had put some some notes in there. Um, let me look yeah. at kind of where to start. Do, 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 do. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack for going for your your first job or you know continuing. I don't know where you want to start. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess let's just kind of start. Uh, if you're looking in the notes, there we'll just start at the at the top, getting your first job. Um, so. Tip, you had some notes to start with that. You want to kick off there? Yeah, I guess the, in the notes. But the biggest thing is the network, network, network. Um, you can do this at any time. You can do this while in school. You can do this when you're out of school. 
you know, it, it's always ongoing. It never ends. Um, and part of the networking you can do in your internships, um, going for those a lot, again, in school, which can help build up a network and then um, starting the job process or getting your name out there and having the opportunity to meet others who are in academia, but also in the professional world. Um, so like I've had a lot of success interning while in school, which then translated in getting offered to go to a field school with that professor because they already saw me in the lab and they already knew who I was and they felt comfortable with asking me to go out to their field school, which I actually declined. Um, it was in the Southwest and I was like, I don't want to be a Southwest archeologist. I'm sorry, I'm not interested, but it helps you also get to see what your interests are as well and where you wanna start kind of pivoting your networking career, mm -hmm. kind of that foundation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, networking will be your, I think, just prepare now for networking to be your base as an archaeologist for all of the times. Mm -hmm. That if you're uncomfortable, like if you're scared in social situations or nervous by it, like it's a perfect time to stretch that muscle because I am nervous in social situations and uh, that, you know, I talk too much and get weird, but <laughs> it's good to to just practice and be ready to network and talk to people and share your experience and ask them questions. Um, you know, you definitely like, you don't have to do the like kowtow, kiss their feet sort of thing, but definitely be like, if they know that, you know, if they've been in the field for a while, pick their brains. You know, if an archaeologist has had a beer, they will probably love to talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> If they have friends, it, yeah. give them a beer and then they will talk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would just be prepared for networking forever. And even when you have a job, like just networking with other people is kind of the, I think one of the pillars of this field. Yeah. I would add like networking. If you have never networked before, like, um, I forget which one of you said it on on the last episode about kind of like getting into business, um, but it's like when I was in. <laughs> Tia, I'm trying to do was... the Brady Bunch thing right now. <laughs> oh no, are you? Tia, yeah. um, it, like uh, so, like businessy kind of things and networking and schmoozing. Like it, it can feel kind of slimy if you're not like into that. If you're not in practice with that, but I promise you, the more you practice that, the the more it just becomes second nature and uh, it, it stops being like such a forced thing. And so like when you first start networking, it'll feel like you're cold calling, right? And that's a very uncomfortable thing uh, to like try and sell yourself to somebody who, you know, it's like you never want to be in a position where you're selling something that nobody wants or nobody's heard of. And so <laughs> if you're the one that nobody has heard of and they don't know that they want to hire you. That's a really hard sell. Right. So like I would say maybe the easiest place to start for networking is if you have a, an advisor or a mentor or just someone like a, a friend or like a classmate who is in a position to help ask them to introduce you to their network. That way it's not just networking from, scratch like you at least have some movement to work with and you never know um 
you know, and just like be persistent and, and just like, kind of like keep your eyes open for open doors for, you know, anybody who might be an unexpected advocate for you. Absolutely. And it kind of goes into with mentors, you'd be, uh, you'd be surprised of like mentors don't necessarily always have to be above you. They can be kind of with you or they can even be, someone completely outside your field as well. So always looking for those opportunities to yourself be a mentor and also others, even your peers being mentors to you to help with whatever direction you wanna go. Yeah, that's a really great point that, you know, as you both said, like your classmate or like your like archie buddy, like they are can also be a mentor. They might know more people in the region. Like if you've moved to a new place, they could be like, oh yeah, I know a couple people. Um, and I know Tifton a couple years ago here in Portland, you went to like it was like women in science. It was like a, a meetup or something of women in the science field and that, you know you know, always check them out. But sometimes those kinds of things can be really great too, especially if you're like CRM and, you know, a big engineering firm is looking, they're like, oh yeah, we have a cultural resource department and we are lacking in people. Um, so like those kinds of meetup sort of things, if you feel comfortable, uh, are can also potentially be a really great place. If nothing else, yeah. you sometimes get free wine. So that's good. <laughs> that's why I was going. I was going for the free food and the free... No, I wasn't, but it was Women in the Environment, which is a great networking group um, for women. I mean, men, of course, are invited. Everyone's invited, but it's tailored to women in the environment. And I noticed there weren't a lot of archaeologists going to these meetings. So it was kind of a way to also kind of elevate archaeology and, and getting to see which firms were like, oh, yeah, we do have that. Oh, my gosh, I didn't know you people existed. You're real. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Like at the end of the day, it, it doesn't hurt to go. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, so like while you're networking, the first question that somebody's going to ask if they want you to follow through is, um, can you send me your resume? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's good to keep your resume at, or C CV as you're first starting off. Um, up to date um, and get anybody you can, you know, like speak, speaking of your network and your mentors, get anybody you can to like sharpen up your resume or your CV for you. <clears throat> um, and I'd also recommend business cards. Like, I know it sounds kind of like cheesy and, and like right now during the pandemic still, um, it's hard to have those face-to-face kind of spontaneous interactions. But um, it, whenever you are in a position to have you know, a face-to-face -face spontaneous interaction. It's good to have a business card. I had, um, I actually ended up hiring someone because they had a really good looking business card that had like their resume as a link. Uh, it was a QR code on the back and I was like, well, let me look at this. And so like, I just looked at it and I was like, sick. Like what? you've got great experience. Uh, this is a cool business card and um you make dope business you're, cards <laughs> you're a people person yeah let's find an opportunity to uh get you into the team so i i mean like having some kind of thing to give someone so that they can follow through like just flatten the distance someone has to make to hire you mm -hmm. yeah and i think 
something that, you know, when I first started out writing a CV, like luckily I had a really great professor who at the end of our field school, one of the requirements was that you put together a CV and send it to him for review, which was really awesome. Um, but something that I remembered, cause I would ask like my dad, who's a software engineer, um, like, well, what should my resume look like? And they would always tell me like, it can't be more than like a page. Like you shouldn't have so much information and it's more than a page. If you're an archeologist, at least my experience, I have never turned in a CV that is less than like a page, never. Yeah. And you're, as you go, it will get longer and longer and longer. I think mine is like seven pages now with like all the projects I list. Like these are the type of things I do. Um, I think the one that I did from the recent job application I did, I think it's like 14 pages long. <laughs> it is stupid. So when like business, like when other people in other fields tell you it needs to be like one page, don't listen to them. Also, if you're just starting out and it is one page, don't feel bad because you're just starting out and that's how the world is. Yeah. Oh, one thing that uh, it comes up for me now is I never know when it will be useful for me to call back to specific project experience that I had earlier in my career, um, you know, now over a decade ago, and I'm like, what was the name of that project? Who was the client? Uh, where was it? And uh, it, like, it's, it's a good idea. Like just do future yourself a favor, like send some love to yourself in the future. Keep a running master document of like, just like project title, um, your role on that project, where it was, and just like a brief blurb. And if you can get the, the client name uh that's great so like for example uh i did a ton of like section 106 and section 110 surveys for the army corps of engineers when i was first starting off and uh recently i was in a position where i had to name all the projects i did that were section 110 and i was like i i don't know the names and i can't even remember where they were it's just like arkansas somewhere or missouri somewhere i, I don't even remember anymore <laughs> Yeah, that's a fantastic point that now that you're mentioning it, and I have definitely wished throughout my career that I was like, what was that project in Utah called? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I would recommend if you can get, a, and I started doing this in late in my CRM career and early into my grad school, I have a flash drive that is literally just for work. And as you know, Chris said, like create just an Excel spreadsheet that every time you finish a project, you, you put those in. And I would also um, recommend you writing down, was it a transmission line project? Was it a pipeline project? Was it a solar project? Was it a wind project? Because I, that kind of information, like for where Tip and I work now for, at BPA, it was so helpful to be like, I have worked on 10 transmission line projects in the past and I know how, like I know how to do survey for a transmission line or like I have worked on solar interconnection projects before. So like those types of things can be helpful if you enter a job that's more like focused in their work as opposed to like CRM, which kind of does, you know, the whole kit and caboodle sort of thing. Yeah. That's great. Words out of my mouth. <laughs> remember to do it like I I kicked myself because I'd be like oh I'm totally gonna remember this project because it's forever <laughs> ingrained in my brain but then 
several years down the road, you're like, oh, I've done so much since then. And I, I can't, even, I don't even know the county. I can't even remember like the closest town. I just remember <laughs> awful pizza and that doesn't <laughs> do very well on a resume. You can't be like, it was by a place with awful pizza. Yes. You know? <laughs> so yes, write it down. Please remember <laughs> to do that. You have the time. It takes two seconds. Even just journal. If you're handwriting, like keep a journal. Mm. Even. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, once in a blue moon, this is a brief detour, and then we'll, and then we'll get back to it. Once in a blue moon, um, I look at the stats for like where our listeners are, and most of them are in the Pacific Northwest. Um. So, you know, it, it's helpful that we do talk about the Pacific Northwest a lot because most of our listeners are here. Uh, but then we also oddly have a lot of listeners in Canada um, and New York. Um, so, Dope. I don't know. Well, hello. Yeah. Yeah, welcome. Hello, hello wherever you are. Um, we appreciate you listening. <laughs> it's sunny in the Pacific Northwest today, so we're sending sun to you. Don't tell them it's sunny. Not supposed to ruin it. They'll it want rains to move here. all the time. It's so <laughs> cloudy. It is. Um, you can't see the mountains at all. It's. Yes, I was actually talking about the other Pacific Northwest. That one. That's yeah, we're... the one that's now. The and... Kamchatka Peninsula. <laughs> uh, no, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So. Um, in terms of like job specific advice in the Pacific Northwest, um, I, th I think it was uh, Tip. You listed the AWA yeah. and the Oregon Archaeology Listserv. Uh, you want to mention a little bit about that? Yeah. So the Association for Washington Archaeology, or AWA, um, if you sign up, if you register to be a member you get posts about job opportunities, uh, mostly in Washington, but uh, the Northwest as well. And uh, you can sign up to be on the distribution list and then uh, they'll they'll give you, they'll, you'll basically into your inbox. It's a little bit more passive, but it'll, they'll send when job opportunities get posted. They're pretty active about sending that information out. And then the Oregon Archaeology Listserv, which is actually through uh, the Oregon Parks and Rec Department. So it's actually the listserv through SHPO. Um, you, you don't have to be a member of anything. You, I will give the link to that, but you can sign up for the listserv and job announcements in the Northwest and Oregon pop up through that as well. They'll email the listserv about opportunities that get passed along and it's private firms as well as state and federal positions that come down the pipeline. So definitely it doesn't hurt to sign up for them. Yeah, when I was in Kentucky, there was a similar listserv there too. Oh, nice. Yeah, so probably each state or uh, province has a, a listserv of some sort or get in touch with your local association and see mm -hmm. what they do as well. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I have had some luck on LinkedIn as well um, in terms of finding mm -hmm. jobs, like um, specifically following just, you know, the state archaeologist and uh, various typos, um, you know, like uh, they're always posting stuff. Uh, any professors at local universities who 
you know, have uh, archaeology students are usually posting stuff like that on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I'm trying to find who so I can give proper credit. Um, but usajobs.gov. Um, Kelly Eldridge, um, Ossiferous AK at, uh, on Twitter. Um, Kelly Eldridge uh, hit me up on Twitter uh, and asked if we could please talk about why the USA Jobs algorithm sucks so much and the importance of networking. Um, so <laughs> I, I have experienced the usajobs.gov uh, website. Like it's not great at telling you in a passive way, like you really have to hunt through the listings and it's time consuming. It's not a very user-friendly site. Um, and so like, it's its ability to kind of inform you. Uh, I would not trust it to just feed you what you need to know. Like you've really got to be in there, be active and like constantly maintaining that thing. It's kind of a pain, but if you're looking for federal work, that's where it's going to be. It's going to be on usajobs.gov. Um, really weird thing. I know you're probably, we're going to segue into it, but they spell, there's two spellings of archaeologists as well with different agencies. Some agencies will spell it with the A and some will spell it without. So when you are searching, make sure you're doing a search for both of those spellings because sometimes it won't pull up one or the other. Yep, had that. I have missed multiple jobs because I did not spell archeologist without the A. Yeah. Thank you. USA jobs. Whoever. Yeah. So, yeah. I was like trying to remember that. I was like, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I um, don't like it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to remember it. <laughs> and yeah, USA jobs is a frustrating bit of frustratingness. And I don't like it there. Yeah. <laughs> and for LinkedIn, for. For real, the reason I got my job is because I started a LinkedIn profile. My dad contacted me one day out of the blue, as dads do, and was like, you need to get a LinkedIn to help people get jobs. And I was like, um, not in my field. We don't use that. And then literally started one, and the next day I got contacted for the job I have now. Like, literally, yeah. it was a day old. Yeah. <laughs> and I got contacted, and, like, and I had to send him a new, uh, text being like, so I'm sorry, and you were right. <laughs> LinkedIn <laughs> does get you archaeology jobs. And I have had a remarkable, like, I have gotten several archaeology job, like, contacts from Indeed and Monster. Mm -hmm. Like, Monster still, I haven't taken my resume down because I don't want to mess with that. But I have gotten three calls this year alone from like firms in California being like, are you looking for a position? We've got something. So like really Monster and Indeed in like for real, they get you jobs. Yeah. And speaking of LinkedIn, if you have, um, you know, a, a a colleague or a supervisor uh, who you have good rapport with, ask them to leave, um, I forget what the word is for it, like an endorsement on oh, your yeah. LinkedIn page. Yeah. It really, it really helps. And then also like to um, whatever it is, check endorsement on people's skills, like go in and, and fill out your skills. Um, 
I think that really makes a huge difference in terms of somebody's um, searchability, but also um, like, it's going to sound weird, but there the companies will try and poach you if you have a really good looking profile. Like if you're good at showcasing your successes and your experience in a way, you know, that makes sense to somebody looking to hire, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the, the people I work with and, and I have been approached by other companies at various points in our, uh, you know, uh, careers and, you know, it, you, you never know. Like so, sometimes it's nice to have somebody uh, kind of passively come approach you rather than you have to go look for the job. I was fortunate <laughs> enough to be poached from a job, um, went like straight out of grad school. I, w- I was working and then, uh, you know, I, I had several kind of attempts at poaching me away from my job. And I was like, it's kind of <laughs> dope. Uh, I'm going to go do yeah. it. All right. Bye. <laughs> For sure. Get it. Yeah. And LinkedIn makes it so easy to showcase stuff. Like they break things. I'm like looking just to remember all the stuff, like they break it down for you, the recommendation. So yeah, it doesn't hurt to ask someone, can you please write me a recommendation and then also make it helpful to them or easier for them and give them kind of a a quick synopsis of like what you're shooting for, what you've done, or just reminding them of maybe projects you've worked on together so that they can easily write it as well. I don't want to say spoon feed, but you know, make it a little easier to have that recommendation written. Yeah. And in terms of like how you use LinkedIn, um, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people use LinkedIn as a Facebook substitute and they just post like whatever, like buzzworthy, video on their page it has nothing to do with what they do in real life and like submitted without uh commentary you know just kind of like are you trying to convey that this is like leadership or character or something like that no it's just like some dude building like a swimming pool with his bare hands in like uh mud and i'm like why is this on linkedin uh why are you it, like you know, in whatever job position you're in and, and sharing this kind of stuff. I, I feel like LinkedIn, it has changed a lot and it probably will continue to change a lot. But I feel like LinkedIn, like it's not helpful to look at LinkedIn as another social media. It's more mm-hmm. helpful to look at LinkedIn as kind of a more dynamic resume or CV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another opportunity to network. Um, yes my Robert has done that before. Like he has reached out to people in positions that he wants to be in. And he's like, would you, you know, Hey, would you mind like chatting or grabbing coffee if we're in the same place and it's not COVID-19? Um, would you mind talking about how you got here and like what you do and like, what did you wish you would have done? And I, I think you'll find that people are way more willing to do that um, than you think they are. Um, and if also like, if they don't get back to you, like immediately, or if it takes some time, like, it's just that people are busy, not that they don't want to talk to you. Um, but yeah, it's a remarkably good networking tool as well. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned indeed, um, you had some success on indeed. I have, I have had, I have too. Yeah. That's good to hear. Uh, I've never followed through on the, um, opportunities I found on Indeed, but I've always been impressed with 
the kind of passive search function. Like if you go through and spend a lot of time dialing in what you want to search for, it's really good at sending you like a daily email digest of which jobs are out there. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty helpful. And I, I still get the updates all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you also mentioned job titles to search for. Yeah, I, it was just words that I recognized that when I was searching, sometimes I had better luck with uh, other than just using archaeologist, um, you know, doing field technician or field archaeologist, technician, crew chief, field director, staff scientist has also brought up some hits as well. Um, cultural resource specialist, be careful with that one because there is <laughs> cultural resource specialists that are like HR, human resources. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like reading the job description. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> Whoa. So just, but those have also brought up job hits and also interdisciplinary uh, for more federal jobs or state jobs. Cause they are sometimes looking for someone who has an archeology span background, but also is going to work with other departments. So they've used the the job title interdisciplinary interdisciplinary. Good thing I don't really get that one because I can't say it. But um those are like some good key searches like keep trying, keep trying different combinations because sometimes what you think might be the job title and it ties back to our last episode, what you think might be the job title may not be what that firm lists it as. Like I started as an assistant staff scientist at my first job, I w it didn't even say I was an archeologist. Their acronyms are really terrible. I was an ASS. Uh, and then I moved into being a, a staff scientist, which I'm like, you guys need to work on your naming conventions. Yeah. Cause when you- Bad acronyms. Them. What yeah, sort of exactly. organization was that tip? Was it was a federal? private, no, it was a private environmental firm. Oh, interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Cause as I'm looking through kind of the wide range of job titles. Yeah. It, it depends on kind of where you're looking, right? Cause if you're looking in kind of a more traditional cultural resources only firm, you're going to have a various list of, of job titles there versus federal versus, um, you know, a cultural resources division within a large environmental firm. Uh, they're all going to have different names for basically the same job position. Um, so it's good to know that <laughs> you're going to be looking for something like field technician, technician, uh, you know, uh, staff scientists, stuff like that. Um, and then also beyond like, I guess, uh, like networking, like intermediate level networking, um, when you're starting to ferret out like who to talk to, it's helpful to know which positions in different organizations have the decision-making uh, duties to be hiring people. And so if you're looking for a CRM job, it's project managers. Um, and so in the last episode, I briefly mentioned how like job titles and the duties with job titles vary so widely, even from CRM company to CRM company. Um, so like 
a title with a principal or director in the name would generally be a good bet for a, someone that's in a position to hire you. Uh, and so like principal investigator, office principal, field director, stuff like that. Um, but not all principal investigators or office principals are in that kind of direct hiring position. And so um, it, it's kind of like the, the idea is like, if, if you can figure out who is in an operations or a managerial role, that's the person you need to talk to because that's the person who's going to be staffing up their projects and kind of tracking who is in what job category as they're looking forward to, to you know, make sure they have everything covered for the projects on hand or the projects that they have forecasted. Um, so, you know, just kind of generally speaking for CRM, I would, I would recommend find somebody called a project manager. Um, yeah. And, and just go like, if you have like no other ideas of like who's working in your area, just go to like Google maps and type in cultural resources and see which offices pop up and you'll see, you know, a little map of, where people are it's not always very accurate but it, it's kind of a good scattershot of like where the offices are and then you can yeah. go to the company's websites and then find out who the project manager is and talk to them mm -hmm. um, yeah and i feel like most archaeologists uh you know myself included for sure are uh definitely willing to help people out even if they're not hiring right away you know like I've been in positions where I'm like, I'm not hiring, but I know that the shop down the street is hiring. So why don't you talk to, you know, the, the folks down at Willamette or the folks over HRA, um, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, and then also like archeology span is a small world. And so you have to understand that, that um, as you're kind of building your reputation, um, you can also depend on other shops to, help you out you know if in the pacific northwest for example you know to go back to like our regional our, our region specific advice is um like in the pacific northwest it's pretty common for archaeological field technicians to be on call with many companies mm -hmm. and they just keep it running and it's a little bit different but it's kind of the same game in the southeast where you know you have a different style of shovel bumming whereas like in in the pacific northwest where you've just got it running with several companies in the southeast you've also got it running with several companies but it might be that you're on the road for like nine months out of the year and it could take you on a long road trip all over the southeast but you know you can string gig to gig as you're going mm -hmm. and the people who are in the decision-making position to hire you understand that those are the conditions that everybody's working in. So they understand, you know, it's like, if someone says no, it's like, well, hit me up next time. I'll, I'll see you on your next lap around. <laughs> yeah. I think once you gain enough of a reputation for that and you're working at multiple companies, you can, easily get to a point where you then have the pick and choose of what you do that if you have multiple companies that come to you in a time and are like hey we've got this project in bend we've got this project in blah 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 and portland and all this stuff you can be like oh well 
the bend one sounds more fun. So I'm going to go do the bend one because <laughs> yeah. um, I've known several archaeologists who have done that, that they have, they're a good tech. They work really well with people. They work for lots of companies and sometimes you'll contact them and they're like, nah, sorry, I can't. I've got a, a project in Bend that I want to go do. Um, so, you know, definitely keep that in mind that it's not a bad thing um, to have multiple companies when you're starting out. And if a company tells you that you're not allowed to work for other people, but they're not providing you enough like job. Um, and that, yeah, it happens yeah. all over the place. Yeah. People so, for some reason think that that's an okay thing to do. And it's not like, it's all over. And if they do that, yeah. leave because it's not a place that you want to work. They clearly don't respect you as a worker. Um, and it's just like, you have to put food on your table and that's what matters more. And so like, you know, and I know companies in Colorado that did this and like people would know. And like, if you tell them like, well, I didn't, I didn't work. I had to leave because of this. The other companies are going to understand and not go like, well, well, that place you left, like people understand. (laughs) Yeah. Never sign a non-compete agreement. Like (laughs) across like a hundred percent, never sign a non-compete agreement. It's always going to put you at a disadvantage and never at an advantage. Um, I've seen a few firms do that. And I, I feel like um, as people's networks go, there's the whisper network of like, hey, don't work for them. Um, that gets whisper around network. enough that like, you just can't, you can't do that kind of thing to your staff. Like you can't mm-hmm. close doors for them that you can't even perceive unless you're, like you said, Tia, un- unless you're willing to offer someone uh, an incredible position with incredible perks don't cut off opportunities to them mm-hmm. you've got to support your folks um, and so this came up on like social media um, we were talking about it on on instagram uh in our text thread let me look at this Oh, one question. How do you know if a company is not worth your time was one of the questions that came up. Um, and so that's one of them. Like <laughs> if you have to sign a, a non-compete agreement, um, that's one thing. Don't confuse non-compete with non-disclosure. Sometimes you do have to mm-hmm. sign non-disclosure agreements and it's just part of working with the federal government. Um, it depends on you know, the, the sensitive nature of a project. Um, and security clearances, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's not sketchy to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but if you feel sketched out, then communicate that. You know, like just mm-hmm. ask questions. It's totally fair to ask questions, um, but if you enter into a non-disclosure agreement, it just means that you can't tell another firm, "Hey, I'm on this massive contract and." Uh, we're working here. This is how many people we're working. This is what we're getting paid, stuff like that. It, it's meant to just kind of like protect mm-hmm. the contracting environment. Um, it could be abused, but it's non disclosures are fairly normal. Um, yeah. 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 And that's, that's like a standard business practice as well. So back to like taking business classes, you'll learn kind of the difference in those and non disclosures. I've signed quite a few. Yeah. And I think, um, oh, where was I going? <laughs> um, 
Oh, another thing that seems, at least in my mind, seems kind of similar, and I only just recently real, uh, learned this, in the state of Oregon, um, if a company is asking you what you were getting paid at your previous job before they have extended an offer to you, that is illegal, and they are not allowed to do it. If they have extended, if they have extended an offer to you and you are doing negotiations or something and they ask, that's, that's fine. But if they are asking you before they have even given you the job, like, oh, well, what were you making at blah, blah, blah firm? It's illegal and they cannot ask it. Yep. So just keep that in mind that if someone's trying to like weasel it out of you, um, that you don't like, they shouldn't. And you can be like, I, you know, I will be willing to talk about salary when I am extended an offer of employment. Um, but until then, um, I, I, that is not information that I wish to share. And if it's yeah. a place that's like, well, fine, then we're not going to hire you, then that's a pretty good indication that you don't want to work for them. Yeah, they're not yeah. worth your time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I would say other situations where it's, it's not exactly that a company is not worth your time, but it might give you reason to pause and reconsider is uh, the per diem and expense structure. And so if a company says that their per diem structure and their lodging structure is reimbursement, it's common. It's not great. Um, there are better ways to do it that favor, like protect the worker. Um, so like one, anybody who's in like a full-time position usually has a company card and they don't have to front their own personal money to do things on projects. Um, or they can just give cash up front or like a prepaid debit card up front. I've, I've seen all manner of uh, per diem and, and expense structures. My least favorite personally is reimbursement just because there are so many barriers to entry in a field that doesn't pay you very well. And so I feel personally, this is my own personal opinion, that it's not fair to ask somebody in an entry-level position to front money you know, to pay for a hotel room in BFE nowhere, um, you know, for yeah. several weeks is unfair. And definitely feel within your right um, to ask them, like, you know, if they don't say up front what their per diem structure is, they like, hey, if we're doing, you know, projects where we have to travel, what is your per diem structure? And then if they're like, well, it's reimbursement, ask if they do provide company credit cards to field workers, because, I worked for a company where when I first started, it was reimbursement your own money. And then very quickly afterward, it was, if you worked for that company, no matter if you were part-time or not, you got a company credit card that they would reimburse on that, which yeah. is really nice. So definitely ask. And I've also been in situations where I got asked to go do 10 days in California and I could not afford to front the money for a hotel. I was like, I have a credit card, but I cannot put that on there. And I don't know when I'm going to be reimbursed. And if I put this on here, I'm not going to have money for food. And yeah. I reached out to the project manager and I was like, is there anything that we can do to help me get on this project? And this project manager was amazing. And they were like, you know, now that you mention it, that could be really difficult for people. I will purchase this with my company credit card um, and get reimbursed that way. Just send me your information. So don't be afraid to, to tell people it's not shameful or bad or anything to be starting out or even like 
like me five years deep into my field and being like, I'm just not in a place where this is something I can do right now. Um, you know, and if they want you on the project and you're a good worker now, of course, sometimes they're like, I'm really sorry, there's just no mechanism for us to be able to do this. Then, you know, see what else you can do, but it does not hurt to ask and be like, I'm so sorry, but I really, I could use some help, please. Yeah. Yeah. Most people aren't in a position to just drop, you know, like if you, if you're spending like 10 days in a hotel in California, most people aren't in a position to drop you know, like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, just like that, uh, with no advance notice. So that's a good piece of advice to reach out. Um, so let me think. Tia likes <laughs> what to look for when saying yes to a job. Oh. I like that. <laughs> well, it kind of transitions into the the receipts and knowing how. Uh, the pay structure is and they're per diem for the project. So when looking to say yes, make sure you're asking about that. The frequency of pay, is it bi-weekly? Is it, you know, bi-monthly? What, you know, how does that work? Um, it just doesn't hurt to ask questions about is there overtime? Is there possibilities for overtime? Because I've been in the position of I was brought on salary, which sounded great when you're 22, and then you don't get overtime pay. So yeah, just being aware of like what pros and cons of being brought into a position, the expectations of travel as well, back to the per diem, you know, does the firm pay for the hotel rooms or how does that pay structure work for, for travel? And then of course, benefits, it never hurts to ask. I know as a technician, you're starting at, a different level, but, you know, it never hurts to ask of for insurance coverage or, you know, what are some of the things that are going to be offered with that position? And then the biggest thing at the end of the day, you know, know your worth and you can say no to offers. Like you don't feel that you have to say yes, as there are more opportunities out there as you start asking those questions and knowing what's the right fit for you and what your needs are in that position. Yeah, knowing your own needs is important. And there's, I feel like there's a lot more to mm -hmm. this, but if a job isn't the right fit, then it's not the right fit. And you shouldn't have to, hold on a second. The dogs are gonna come in. <laughs> are they coming? <laughs> and we're, we're in a tiny house. And so it's just gonna, it's gonna be a lot of noise. A lot of nails clicking. <laughs> I'm just going to edit all this out. <laughs> as I was running back, as I was running back up the stairs, my cat Yuffie was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing this? We're doing it? What? Is this a game? We're playing it. Is it stairs game? Yeah. No, no. She like cut me off at the pass and then jumped on her cat tree and was like, yeah, 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 yeah. At the knee. Like, Yumi, I got you out of here. <laughs> uh, hi, Bubba. Uh, you want to lay on my lap, don't you? You want to get cuddly? Well, when the baby is cat. <laughs> He's still tiny. He's a littlest guy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's only five pounds. Yeah. How old is he? Four months. 
So he is a November 3rd baby. He's an election oh. baby. <laughs> he was that came out. I am sober. And <laughs> he's, he's an election baby. He's an election baby. He was born, okay? Not okay, anyway. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh where was I? So sometimes jobs aren't the right fit. And that was something that the three of us talked about in our, you know, our, our group text was uh, it's hard to know your self-worth and it's hard to know when to say no, when you're so eager to search out, you know, any opportunity you can, you just want to get a foot in the door. You just want to build experience because a lot of these jobs say you need experience to get experience. And so it's really hard to be in that position to build experience, but in entry-level positions, it's like the, the financial outlook is so precarious. Like you're not getting paid enough and the, that position is so temporary usually that um, you really have to be careful with yourself and you have to know what your financial needs are and what, you know, your boundaries are for, you know, like being able to go out of town, for example, or, or how, how able you are to spend uh, long periods in the field, stuff like that. You know, it's like, there are so many barriers to entry and, um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about in our, our group text was like, I reached a point where I was burning myself out as a project manager, even after grad school, getting paid peanuts, uh, you know, to work over 40 hours a week. And then I finally realized I could make more money in less than half amount of time to work at a bar for stable hours, I would have a set schedule every week. And I, I was working like 20 hours a week and I had, you know, more money than I could spend. So I was like saving money. And, uh, it was just like, my quality of life was better. And so that's like a, a roundabout way of saying like, focus on your quality of life and focus on your, um, financial needs first and foremost, because this isn't really a field that gives back. And, that sucks, but, um, it's just one of those kind of like words of caution is like, don't get in too deep. Yeah. As we were saying, like I took a summer to work at Starbucks for $11 an hour because I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I was like, if I work a summer in archeology, span I'm going to fucking lose my mind. And so I took that summer to work at Starbucks and worked as a barista and was like, Oh, Dealing with people, not my, not my stuff. <laughs> can't, can't do this long term because <laughs> it makes me mad. Um, but yeah, just make sure you know your worth. And even as an entry level employee, like you are, you are worth something, and you are important. And that if you feel like you can't make that much money somewhere else, and you don't like where you're at, I promise you, you will make that much money somewhere else leave if you have to do something else in the meantime while you're searching there's no shame in that there's nothing bad just but if you are deeply unhappy or stuff is not safe for you there or you're being mistreated 
leave. Don't stay. There's no, nothing to be gained. And archaeology loves to, um, like, have a competition of pain. Like, who has suffered the most for our craft? And, like, no, stop. It shouldn't be that way. It's disgusting. And you don't need to stick shit out just to, like, be able to put a sticker on being like, I suffered through X, therefore... I'm worthy, like, no, no. No, that's not okay. And we need to change that narrative for sure. Like I've gone to conferences now and when people say stuff like that, I'm like, and you, what do you want me to say to that? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there were so many opportunities to, to not have to go through certain things. Of course, you know, you can't always control every situation, but at the end of the day, it's like, I don't, I don't know how to receive that. I still feel successful and I didn't go through X. I didn't get trench foot or something, you know, like <laughs> I, I still have all my toes. So, and here we are both having a beer in the same place. Yeah. I feel like there's so much internalized <laughs> exploitation that happens in our field in terms of, you know, the, the pissing contest over who has suffered the most or, you know, like one of the things that frustrated me when I was first starting out in, in CRM archaeology was how bitter and jaded a lot of more experienced archaeologists were. And, you know, I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and, you know, really ready to cheer on being a CRM archaeologist. And I find myself in the position now where I'm like, I can understand how one becomes very bitter and jaded. However, I don't understand how one stays. And I think, you know, I, I think there's points of privilege in that, that, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have a wide enough experience set that like I could pivot to a different field if I hated what I was doing enough. Um, like I could go be a general contractor. It'd be like, you know, like a very similar skill set, and I would get paid more to do less work. And, you know, so, so it's like, um, the internalized exploitation that we have, you know, it's like my, my urge, I can't even think of like the right word. Like I'm, I'm just urging people who are in more experienced positions. If you've been through like some really bad stuff and you likely have, don't make others go through it too. Like find a way to not make others go through that. Like lower the barriers to entry, um, train people up, you know, don't beat people down and create opportunities for folks. And the, everybody's going to be better for it, even yourself. And, um, I don't know, like I could, I could rant about that all day, yeah. but it's just one of those things. That it's like just hearing how bitter and jaded people were when I first started out, like was really kind of bothering, uh, bothersome for, for me to hear. Um, and I don't hear it as much, I think just cause I'm in a different position now, but like that can't be fun for anybody to hear. Um, it's true. Like there's a lot of stuff that needs to be improved. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought on that. That can be <laughs> another episode of like next steps for internally working on our our mm -hmm. discipline yeah because the same yeah. take care of yourself yeah. though 
Yes. Yeah. Take care of yourself though. I mean, there have been a lot of other podcasts like women in archeology span podcast, for example, has um, an episode on uh, like mental illness in the field, for example. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of archeologists do struggle with is mental illness, substance abuse. Um, and that's, going to be something that a lot of people do encounter a lot of. And it's something that we have to be sensitive to and, and try to work to mitigate like things that cause other people harm, things that trigger other people, um, you know, and it's a difficult work environment because it blurs the lines of a traditional workplace. Like you spend mm -hmm. so much time with people in a setting. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, we said at the at the beginning of this of the last episode that this was going to be many episodes and i think there's there's more to cover oh yeah there's so much oh, yeah. <laughs> that i actually wish i had a podcast like this when i was coming into the field to have more resources Same. just to listen i mean probably wouldn't have changed my mind i probably would have kept going because i committed <laughs> but uh yeah it, it just is nice to have those resources and to hear that there are professionals who are succeeding but also want to see a better future for newcomers yeah yeah i just remember sitting there being like i want a job in this and i have literally zero idea of how to do this and like none of my family works in any sort of like uh science like science field like biology or you know you know that anything even remotely similar and so some of the advice that they would give was like helpful but others was like there's no like nope it doesn't apply i knew besides my professor i knew no professional archaeologists was not sure how this whole thing worked so yeah tip i'm in the same boat as you like i really wish that there had been something like this when i was searching to be like Oh, okay. So if the company says this, I should peace bounce immediately. Or like, yes. if I, or like, if like, oh, this is the kind of work I'm going to do. Or like, who knew that I was going to be walking bare minimum six miles a day? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think, yeah, this is a many, a many pronged beast. Many pronged beast? Nope, not. The, I don't know why I thought of like the head massagers. The many prongs of a head massager. Many pronged head massager. Not two, but many. This this is Ghidorah from Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So like this, the space dragon that has three heads that you just can't kill. Sorry, I watched it last night, so I was just thinking about that. It's like it's a many pronged beast. Yeah. You just keep chopping it, and more come out. <laughs> yeah. heck yes yeah so uh how are y'all doing on time do you want to call that an episode probably should we're making some stew for saint patty's day Ooh. yeah there's some guinness waiting too i mean it's not as great as it is at the source because it runs out of all the taps in ireland but <laughs> nice <laughs> it is water in ireland it, it, it literally is, is. <laughs> It's water and a full meal. <laughs> the bread. Irish have got their stuff together. Seriously, they figured it out. My people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Scottish, so I can't. I'm like. I'm just sad potato people all around. I'm like 90% Irish and like 
9% Polish and then like a tiny bit of like not sad potato people. <laughs> Cause like when you look at like the main dishes of those countries, like Ireland's like, sorry guys, potatoes and everything. And Poland's like, we've got pierogies. Pierogies are so Sad good. potato people. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's how I describe my heritage. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that is the note that we're gonna end this episode on. Oh no. Now we're gonna get now we're gonna get messages from Polish and Irish people being like, fuck you, we're not sad. I'm happy.